As we uh, continue in our series of messages called Dysfunction, we're going to look at the issue of conflict in the home. The Bible has a lot to say about conflict. It really has some very brilliant, practical stuff to help us navigate our way through us. And maybe that video hit a little close to home for some of you. You know, a little bit of parenting and marriage conflict leads to some harsh words and hurt feelings. It's not a pretty picture what happens when communication breaks down. My guess is we've all been there sometime. And conflict, if we don't navigate it through well, simply damages families and relationships. It leaves family and relationships deeply hurt, not dealt with properly. Conflict destroys. Here's how Jesus talks about conflict in the home. I was struck by how the Good News Bible and the Living Bible translate these words. In the Good News Bible, if a family divides itself into groups which fight each other, the family will fall apart. The Living Bible says a home filled with strife and division destroys itself. You know, one of the things that you need to do as you're preparing for marriage, uh, some of you are in that stage, is to learn a little bit about conflict management. We, we tend to go into these things like totally blind. Like how many of you, before you got married, had someone sit you down and show you how to fight fair? Any of you? Not too many of you, right? Hey, we're all unique. We have different desires, tastes, interests, talents, abilities, temperaments. It means, it just means we're going to clash. It's inevitable. We're different. We, we look at life differently in a moment. I want to walk us through some ideas from the Bible on how to navigate conflict. I'm going to grab a few of these ideas from Rick Warren, but really, this is just standard stuff that you clearly see in the Bible that many of us know is there, but we just need a gentle reminder to take what we already know seriously. So that's where we're going to go today. But before I do that, let me take you to the words of the Apostle James, the brother of James. He gives us a blunt assessment of why we experience conflict those conflicts and disputes among you. Where do they come from? Uh, do they not come from your desires at war within you? You want something and you do not have it. The cause of conflict is competing desires. I want what I want and you want what you want. We have competing needs and interests. I don't know if any of you have electric blankets. They're not as popular as they once were. But I checked on Wayfair. I was surprised to see that they still sell queen and king size electric blankets with just one control. Like, what are they thinking? You can also get them with two controls. So my first suggestion in conflict management in a marriage is if you buy an electric blanket, it's got to have two controls. That might be worth the whole message, the whole being here this morning. But anyways, you know, for those of you who are married, when you stood in front of that pastor, that priest or lawyer, you, you had many expectations on your wedding day. Many of them really won't be fulfilled. Some of them were just unrealistic. I, I heard it said that marriage goes through three stages. The happy honeymoon, the party's over, and then let's make a deal, right? And again, before we look at how to navigate conflict, let me list first several ways how we tend to choose to react to conflict. Some are better reactions than others, but as I list them, maybe you can identify which one is your style. And, and be honest with yourself, is, is this you? Number one is my way. This is one way of reacting. My way says I win. I assert until you give in. I'm totally right. You're totally wrong. My way is the only way. And some of you fight this way in marriage, like the woman in the video. I'm in it to win it. 
Number two is no way. This is, I withdraw. I just back away from the conflict. I, I ignore the problem. I avoid it at all costs. Hey, nothing is ever resolved because I just keep walking away from conflict. Number three is your way. I give in and I roll over and I play dead, right? I, I want your approval, so I pretend like I'm a doormat and I always give in to your wishes. It's always your way. It's a very, it's a very peaceful way to live and a very frustrating way to live. Number four, halfway, you compromise. I give in a little. You, you give in a little. You win some. You lose some. It's better than the first three. Number five, our way. We work out our mutual goals together. I not only care about solving the problem, but I care about the relationship, and I care about you. I, I want us to have a mutually satisfactory resolution to this conflict because you are important and the relationship is important. So with all of that as a background, let me walk us through some thoughts from the writers of the Bible, writers who were inspired by God to write words of counsel and wisdom for us. And let me start with really just the most basic of ideas. Number one, you just start with committing your life to Jesus. So what does that have to do with conflict? There is a powerful conflict-transforming dynamic that comes from making a commitment to following Jesus when you invite Jesus to come in and live within you. With Jesus living in you, he is able to empower you to live and love like him. That can have a huge impact on how we navigate conflict. Jesus really makes a difference. And one of the things that is so awesome about the Christian faith is that the words of wisdom, the counsel and the direction given by the writers of the Bible, friends, this is not just self-help. These words come from the God who created us, who is crazy in love with us, and he not only tells us how life is best lived, but our God actually wants to help us live that way. When we say, I have Jesus in my heart, what we really mean is that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, lives in us, and, and, and we have spiritual power to do far more than we could ever do on our own. We have more than our own willpower. Now, in a marriage, if both partners know Jesus and we both have Jesus living in us, then what we get is an even more powerful dynamic. And this is one of the reasons why we encourage believers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, to, to marry someone else who follows Jesus. When you both have Jesus living in you, you both have supernatural power to live in love like Jesus. And that just makes what can happen in a marriage so much more awesome, so much more doable. There is so much more hope. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it. As parts of the same body, our anger against each other has disappeared. For both of us have been reconciled to God, and so the feud ended at last at the cross. Here's what Paul means. When Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is living in me, and when Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is living in you, Jesus is not going to fight against Jesus. Does that make any sense, right? If both of you have your eyes on Jesus... If both of you are committed to following Jesus, then you will both be sensitive to the prompts and the leading of the Holy Spirit in you. And the Spirit of Jesus will be leading you, empowering you, motivating you both to seek a resolution to the conflict, to seek peace and reconciliation. This is the power that comes from having a shared Christian faith where both of you have surrendered your lives to Jesus and both of you have asked the Holy Spirit to fill you, speak to you, lead you, and empower you to live and love well. 
Now, often there's just one of us in a marriage or a relationship where they, who is a spirit-filled follower of Jesus. But let me tell you, one is better than none. Because if you are a spirit-filled follower of Jesus, Jesus will not only give you the desire to make things right when there's a strained or broken relationship, he will, he will start to give you the power to make it right. I mean, you can't control the other person. There's no guarantees here. But who you are and, and how you love can totally change the dynamic, the, the environment, what's going on. Jesus in you can change it if you let him. What makes being a follower of Jesus so different than just being a person who lives without faith um, is Jesus empowers us to do the things that we know we ought to do, the things we want to do. Jesus just transforms us into people who love well. That means we're not just talking about trying harder. We do try harder, right? But we're talking about as we try, we're allowing Jesus, who we've invited into our lives, to so impact us, we, we allow him to strengthen us to do what he's created us to do and be. And that means he will empower us, he will help us, he will lead us into loving well. If you are not yet a committed follower of Jesus, you'll be just amazed, I think blown away at the power for reconciliation that comes into your life when you're living with Jesus in your life on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. That's the foundation before anything else. You commit your life to Jesus. Okay, the next thing that needs to be part of our conflict resolution process comes out of this foundation of living moment by moment, day by day, as a spirit-filled follower of Jesus. The next thing is, number two, you talk to God about the conflict. Before you talk to the person you're upset with, you talk to God. You pray about it. You, you admit it to him. You, you may end up solving the problem right there. Okay, going back to some words that we already looked at from the Apostle James. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Hey, would you have ever made the connection between the conflicts you get into and your lack of talking to God? Fascinating connection, right? Okay, many of the conflicts in life we have, and Certainly the conflicts we have in marriage and in the home occur when we expect other people to meet needs that are really needs that God wants to meet in our lives. Even if the issue isn't a need that only God can meet, the truth is, and I don't think a lot of us consider this, but what James is telling us is that a key solution to conflict resolution is not to fight, but to ask God. Hear me out. Anytime you sense conflict rising for any reason, the first thing you need to do is get your eyes off of the conflict for a moment, and get your eyes on God, and pray. If you would do this, this would allow Jesus through the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom, to give you the power to de-escalate the conflict. When you pray, what happens? You open yourself up to God speaking to you and leading you in the way that you should go. And then you let God be a part of how you navigate conflict when you let God influence your thinking process. Friends, this is huge, like really huge. This alone will transform conflict. And then when we realize sometimes that conflict comes from us looking to others to meet needs that only God can meet, man, this can totally change our perspective. And so we ask, hey, why am I angry? What need of mine is not being met? Or where am I feeling violated? You know, I hear this one sometimes. If I just get married... If I just find the right partner, all my needs would finally be met. 
If I could just meet the right person, that would do it. Really? Hey, you might meet one incredible soulmate. That can happen. But no matter how awesome that person is, you'll never meet anybody who's going to meet all of your needs. They can't. It's just not possible. God designed you in such a way that He wants to meet many of your needs. And only He can meet your deepest needs. So if you're single, don't go looking for someone to meet all your needs. You'll end up a little disappointed. And if you're struggling in a marriage, don't go thinking that that person who's really sweet out there is going to do better and she's going to meet all those needs or he's going to meet all those needs. No one will meet all your needs. You've you got to look to God. Hey, when I'm expecting someone else to meet all my needs, there's a telltale warning light that comes on. It's anger. Anger is like a red flag. It's a, a warning light that says, I'm expecting someone to meet my needs that only God can meet. I'm asking someone else to be God. That's just so unfair to the other person, your partner, your spouse. So unfair. Only God can meet your deepest needs. Only God. Okay. Let's just keep going. And some of this sounds like stuff you hear in a conflict management course, but we want to keep bringing God into it. So number three, analyze the problem. As you're praying, the first thing that you would ask yourself is, how much of this is my fault? I mean, just be brutally honest with yourself. Really, how much of this is my fault? Because Jesus says, before you start accusing and blaming and attacking, you've got to ask, am I the problem? Am I the cause? Do I have a blind spot? Listen to Jesus. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When you're in a conflict, before you start getting the sawdust out of your husband's or wife's eye or even your kid's eye, get that streetlight pole out of your own eye. Ask, am I the problem? Am I being demanding? Am I unrealistic? Am I oversensitive? Am I impatient? Am I insensitive? Yeah, most conflict in my home and marriage is probably me being a little too concerned about what I like. It can be simple things, you know, like TV and movies. Jane and I couldn't be more opposite when it comes to what we like to watch. Jane loves Christmas movies, The Woman's Network, all those home renovation shows on HGTV. I have a huge aversion to it all. I'm a news junkie. I get worked up about politics. I love getting worked up that way. I love action and adventure, but I can't get Jane to watch The Lord of the Rings, too much blood and violence and... I try to tell her there are Christian themes there, that Tolkien was a believer, but no go. For me, hunting and fishing shows are the best, and Meat Eater with Steve Ranella is at the top, and I try to get Jane to watch the cooking part of Meat Eater, right? That should work. Yeah. Limited success. I guilted Jane into watching Netflix's The Messiah with me. She's not that interested. I'm fascinated. We compromise and we watch The Crown together. History fascinates me. The family story fascinates Jane. Jane is big into Outlander, which I can tolerate just a little bit. I thrive on action. I easily get bored. Am I the problem? Well, there's no such thing as a one-person problem in a relationship or a family. Family problems are not just your problem. They're our problem. If there's a problem, it's our problem. And while one of us might contribute to the problem more than the other, we are both part of the problem. That's why the Apostle John says, 
we claim to be without sin. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Be honest. Nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes and do tons of things. I, I've been known to make a dumb mistake or two. I'm sure Jane could list them for you. Another thought. As part of analyzing the problem, here's another question you need to ask. You've asked, am I the problem? But you also need to ask, what does love require of me? You really must ask, what does love require of me? A few weeks ago, I said that God has really impressed on my heart to be asking this love question more and more of myself personally this year and more and more of us as a church family. What does love require of me? What does love require of us? Because this is the one command that Jesus really wants us to get. Everything else is really just commentary on this main command. The one command we have from Jesus or the main command we have from Jesus is a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. So as you sense relational tension, as you navigate conflict, you've got to ask, what does love require of me in this situation? And then you ask, how do I navigate this situation with the same sacrificial love that Jesus has for me? And you ask God to help you do what he speaks to you. And friends, God will speak if you take the time to listen. Seriously, if you slow down, pray and listen to him, he will speak. Jesus said, by this everyone know, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Friends, the defining mark of a Christian. You know, it's, it's not the fight to be right. It's not even the fight for truth. It's love. If every time we got in conflict, we asked the question, what does love require me? I mean, just imagine the impact this would have on conflict. In, in many cases, it would just wipe the conflict out. Okay. As we navigate conflict, we've talked, one, about the foundation of committing your life to Jesus. We've talked, secondly, about looking at the power of prayer as we navigate conflict. And then we stop to analyze the problem. We've asked a couple of questions. Are we the problem? What does love require of me? I think these three things that we looked at might be among the most powerful things that we can do to navigate conflict. They just flow out of what it means to follow Jesus. But let me quickly walk through several more practical ideas. They're not distinctly Christian, but they are also found in the thoughts of those who have written our Bibles. So this brings me to a fourth idea. Just schedule a peace conference. It's a very practical idea. Schedule a peace conference, a time to get together, because here's the reality about conflict. Conflict is seldom resolved accidentally. It is done intentionally, deliberately. It doesn't just happen. You have to sit down face to face and deal with the issues. You have to spend time together where you lay the issue down on the table and you gracefully talk it through. And by the way, I hate doing this. I really do. But I've learned to do it. Not just in my marriage or family, but with staff. Hey, we, we have an awesome staff team here at Fort City. I, I would say we have a very healthy team environment. And what makes it healthy, and no, we're not perfect at this, but for the most part, the team here is comfortable enough with each other that none of us runs away from conflict. We're all willing to uh, raise issues with one another and seek resolution. It's not always comfortable, but it is good. Again, we're not perfect at this, but we don't let conflict go underground. And in turn, that makes this place a great place for all of us to serve. This has got to be one of the most relationally strong teams that I've served with. They're pretty awesome, and that includes the YWAM team that we partner with. They're, they're kind of awesome, too. 
And uh, what's good is no one on our team is too afraid to speak the truth in love. I mean, sometimes I wish they were, if you know what I mean, but that's my bad. But when that truth needs to be spoken, it's full of love and grace most of the time. And then when someone crosses a line that we shouldn't with each other, and that does happen, we're human, the good part is is we own it when we blow it. For me personally, the, the team here is just like, like giving perfect no, but awesome yes, if you can get what I mean. And, and Jesus, he speaks to this idea that we need to resolve conflict. He, he said that resolving conflict is far more important than attending church on Sunday. Sometimes I wish he didn't say that, but he, he does. Let me point that out. That's a pretty big statement when you think about it. Here's, a, here's how Jesus put it. If you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. What's Jesus saying? He's basically just saying, don't, don't ignore conflict. If you've got a problem and you're coming to church and you're about to give your offering and you remember the problem, Jesus says, you need to get it right. Notice he says, leave your gift in front of the altar. You cannot worship effectively with unresolved conflict, at least to the extent that you've tried to get it right. Right? You can't control the other person. Right? There, it takes two in this. But still, ultimately, this is a love issue. You cannot love God with all you've got when you are not loving your neighbor as yourself. And all the more so when your neighbor is in your family or is your spouse. The way we love God is measured by how we love others. This is huge, just saying. Again, what did Jesus say? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Your conflict with people impacts the strength of your relationship with God. All right, number five. Attack the issue, not each other. King Solomon has these wise words for us to embrace. The fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. It is foolish to intentionally cause anger or resentment in your home. It's just kind of dumb, but we do it all the time when we're angry. When we're angry, we just let loose, and that only creates more anger. You know what I mean? The people you live with or hang out with all the time, your family, your roommates, your boarders, your team at work, you know their emotional hot buttons. You know what will tick off your husband, wife, parents, kids, maybe your boss. You know if you push that button, it's going to tick them off. Solomon is just being blunt when he says, it is dumb to push those buttons to make people angry intentionally, to intentionally build uh, resentment is just foolish. Number six, switch your focus. This one is similar to the idea of what would love require of me, but it's worth pursuing this love theme a bit more. And that's the idea that you move the attention away from yourself to the other person, from selfishness to unselfishness. You know, if we would just follow the ways of Jesus and do as the Apostle Paul instructs, we would have a little less conflict in our home and lives. Paul says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. But when we're angry, we're just typically preoccupied with ourselves, with me, right? All we can see are my needs, my hurts, my expectations that haven't been met. The Apostle Paul is saying, look at the needs of others, not just your own needs. Switch the focus. You know, if you want a magical sentence that clears up so many conflicts and will usually end it right on the spot, it's this. I'm sorry. 
I was only thinking of myself. And if you make that statement after your partner wakes up from fainting, then, then you can begin to deal with the real issues. I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. It's a hard thing to say, but the bottom line is conflict is caused by selfishness and immaturity. When two immature people want their own way and are not thinking about the other person, conflict is inevitable. It happens. Friends, we just need to grow up. And the good news is God wants to help us grow up. So many more ideas from the writers of the Bible that I could share right now, but I'll quickly wrap it up with this last one. Number seven, just don't give up on this, okay? Don't walk out in the middle of a fight. Finish your fights. Stick with it. Resolve them. Conflict resolution is never easy. Again, here's a bit of wisdom from the Apostle Paul. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, Paul gets that it's not always possible, but if it is, don't give up. Do all that you can. Because, hey, it is just far more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. I mean, you'll do one or the other, resolve it or dissolve it, right? Resolving conflict is painful, but the rewards are far greater than letting the relationship die. So don't give up. And remember, our God, he wants to help us in this. So don't give up. Okay, would you bow with me for a time of prayer? Father, there are many here this morning who are hurting from conflict and strife in their home and in their relationships. God, I just pray that your peace and healing power might be on them as they open their lives to you. Do a great work among us this morning. Restore harmony where there needs to be harmony. And then maybe you would pray this with me. Could I invite you to pray this with me? Just make this your own prayer. Jesus, just say this. Jesus, I need to give you my life and my family. Just just tell them that. I need your help in my home. Lord, I, I admit that I've done many things wrong. Just tell them that. Help me to be unselfish, not to think only of myself. Help me to think of my partner's needs. Help me to think of my children, put their needs in perspective. Give me the power to do your will. I'm opening my life to you or further to you today. And let me just continue to pray for all of you. Father God, as I continue to pray for our church family, thank you for how relevant your word is to our lives today. I pray that you will be building strong relationships, strong families, that we might have a strong church and strong city for Jesus' sake. Amen.